You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abracha, this is Standing in Two Worlds. I'm Aprom Kivalevich, and I'm here with Dr. Sam Juni, a prominent research psychologist based in Yerushalayim. Dr. Juni, thanks for being with us today. Uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, we have a very long relationship. And of course, I know you not only as a research psychologist, but also as a friend, a neighbor, someone I've spent a lot of time with. And I know, uh, Dr. Juni, that you were raised in a Haredi background um, in, in, in Brooklyn. Um, you definitely lived among uh, what we call the Chassidah Shevelt, and you know it quite well. Um, you were more than fluent in Yiddish. Uh, you were a, a big, as we say in Yiddish, in, in the world of and now you've moved to Yerushalayim. And I know that you are not only a, a, a research psychologist, but you also have uh, a tremendous amount of experience in treating patients. So I think our listeners, and I myself, will be very interested in hearing about your views on the Haredi world, how the Haredi world uh, is, differs between what you remember and what you knew in America, the way it still is, and how what your observations are in Eretz Yisrael. And, and I'd like you to perhaps expand not only on perhaps Haredi patients that you've had, but your general sense of how what is the Haredi dynamic and mentality uh, the way you see it in Eretz Yisrael today. Okay, let me just, hello, I'm delighted to be here again. Let me just um, give, do a slight correction. Um, I do not treat people, okay? I've never helped anybody in my life in terms of um, psychology or psychiatry. What I do is differential diagnostics, which means that I basically figure out what is wrong with people and how they can possibly be helped and then I refer people to where they're supposed to go. And I also can formulate the treatment plan if they need that, but I do not do actual treatment. So that's the correction. Okay. So, uh, so just to explain that in clearer terms, what that means is, is that you are the gatekeeper. You'll, you'll be able to suggest other professionals when, when you look at the original problem that the person might have. So you definitely do, you definitely do see a person and, and discuss and, and, and think about yes. the, what's the diagnostics. You just don't mm-hmm. necessarily stay with them over the long haul. Till I, they- I do not stay with them over the, the haul at all. What I do is I formulate what's going on and then I wash my hands. Of it. <laughs> okay. All right. Correction duly noted. Okay. So... You had this big question. Can you just make it a little more specific? You had this big question about Haredim. And- okay, so first of all, let's talk about your observations about in, in the Haredi society uh, in Eretz Yisrael versus your observations here. And start with that. Okay, so the, the one thing I want to say about the perspective of Haredim here, and it's really a perspective, I would say, about the overall um should we say, from or dati or observant uh, Jewish um, culture in Israel, is that it's much more black and white than the um, perspective of Haredim especially, 
or even just Orthodox people in, um, in the United States. In other words, um, people don't have several categories here of what kind of Jew you are. Like, for example, um, conservative Judaism, reform Judaism, that did not take much traction here yet. So essentially, you're either Haredi from, or you're not. There isn't much recognition that there's something in between, like perhaps modern Orthodox, or if you want to push it, perhaps, let's say, a really traditional conservative Jew, they don't have that kind of concept. And clinically, from my perspective, at least in terms of the kinds of patients that I see, there is quite a bit of tension among younger Americans who come here who don't quite fit in. Like, let's say, if you have people from the yeshiva, like, let's say, Chafetz Chaim. Or from the yeshiva, like, um, shall we say, even Chaim Belen at Taravadas, where, let's say, parents don't mind if the kids play sports, or they don't mind if they have a computer game. Those kids have a very hard time fitting in here. Adults as well, if you're not quite really uh, Zichran Moshe material who davens in the shtibles and geula, and you're not someone who wants to go to the beach Shabbos morning, there's a hard time finding a chevra here where you can fit in. So uh, I'm saying Haredim, I'm including both Hasidim there or the um, Haredi uh, Yeshivish people here. There isn't much tolerance or even understanding of people who are not quite there. And I myself get it here from people who are not religious at all, who have a hard time quite understanding when they visit my house and look around and say, what's going on? We don't quite understand who you are. So that perspective means a lot. It's especially socially. And I can tell you, in terms of kids, um, there is a very good chance here of kids falling between the cracks and especially becoming irreligious or confused because the um, notion is you're either A or B, and if you're somewhere in the middle, you're not going to fit, and then you'll feel you're an outcast. So there's a, I, what you're, I think what you're saying, of course, is that the polarization in that community um, uh, really doesn't allow for shades of gray. And I think we've seen that. We see that in the strident arguments that we always hear uh, echoed. It's in the Knesset. It's everywhere else. Um, and that is something that I think is, is, is a very sad uh, situation, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that uh, you uh, getting, are you getting some Haredi uh, patients or who are coming to you because of that specific issue that they feel they don't know who they are, they don't know where they can fit in, um, they're suffering um, from a certain dissonance in their personality. Yes, they, I mean, and I would add they're suffering from dissonance and they're also suffering from basically persecution by the organized community that they belong to because the point is you better shape up or get out and there is no option for basically just living your life. Like for instance, the idea of kids who don't quite fit into the system going to work. Okay, that's horrible. They don't just, I would say a typical Haredi community does not distinguish between somebody going to work, somebody becoming irreligious, somebody marrying a non-Jew. It's like, wow, what is wrong with you? It's the same kind of venom. Joining the army is definitely, in the Haredi world, the equivalent of converting to a different religion. There is no moderation. You're either with it or you're totally out. And that leads some people really into, and especially people who 
have issues, not just with the fact that they don't fit in, let's say, intellectually or in terms of their abilities to pull it, but just in terms of their disposition. If they don't fit into the kind of life, and if you want to, we can talk specifically about the different kinds of Hasiduses or Haredi clans here, but essentially there is no allowance. Um, there is no allowance at all, and it leads to a kind of radical extremism, which, I mean, I don't care about the culture itself, I'm not part of it, but which is very disturbing to the members of the culture, even those who stay, they feel they're there under duress. They're there under the threat that if they even veer a little bit, they're totally out. It's like you're, t- you're on a diet. You feel, okay, so if I cheat once, okay, so I've cheated once. I've cheated twice, I'm still on a diet. That's not how it is when you belong to this community. If you veer off a little, you will be hounded, but you yourself will feel that you're a total, you're a total failure. It's not that you don't quite belong, you're totally out of it and you have no identity and that's quite threatening to people here and it has a lot of a lot of psychiatric fallout a lot of it would you say we talked last in our last uh episode we talked about in general israeli mentality would you say that sort of that sort of firm uh, strictures of who you are and you have to be a certain way would you say that's uh, only by the Haredim? would you say in the the modern uh the, the modern world there, which is Dati Lumi or the liberal left uh, Israeli, is there also that sort of um, rigidity in terms? Yeah, no, the, rigi- the rigidity is, is there across the board, and um, it isn't as badly, it doesn't have as bad of a, or a deleterious influence on the non from world because not belonging doesn't have implications of being like um, evil or being uh, uh, betraying something. In the Haredi or from world, if you're not there, you're basically stabbing them in the back and you're doing something that's horrible and that you'll burn in hell. And that aspect doesn't exist on the other side. But the extreme categorization here, the black and white categorization is something that's part of Israeli society altogether. And the Haredim have bought it, hook, line, and sinker from the other perspective, but they've bought it basically saying, you know, are you with us or not? Are you one of us or one of them? And if you're one of them, you are one of them regardless of any shades. You are bad, evil, uh, it doesn't matter. And look, that kind of extremism you hear in the Knesset, you hear the way they debate it. They're, they're fighting each other as if they're the worst mortal, they're in the antithesis of each other, not the different point of view. So so it, even though the invective is definitely uh, hard for us from in America to hear, because we have more of a sense of, of unity and, and, and coming together, I, would, would you say also as a, as, as, a, as a scientist that it also deadens or at least dampens the, the ability to really think out of the box and to be fluid, uh, to be calm and, 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 and to think about things in, in, in a new way? It would seem that as, as much as the Israelis are at the forefront of a lot of um, uh, scientific breakthroughs and in terms of what they've been able to accomplish, but if, if, if they are so bonded and, and so strictured by, by where they can think and where, what they can be about themselves, I think that's going to it doesn't, won't that have an effect on the type of work that they do and the type of thinking that they do and the type of inventiveness and creativity that they are able to, to summon up? Well, you see, there's two aspects. In general science, I think sometimes having a black and white view 
can actually encourage you to do better because it's either wrong or right. There's no middle ground and that gets you going. The, the, the real hassle is in terms of what we call the social sciences or psychology. And that's something that means that you really find that you have nothing to do with this person. I have nothing in common. He's totally not like me. I don't want to go to the Arab-Israeli conflict. That's a whole, whole different partial. But the point is you don't see people as being, well, yeah, I can understand this. I can't understand that. You're either good or bad. You're either with us or against us. And so it doesn't allow for any real understanding of, let's say, the psychology of society and anthropology of society. And I think that the um, establishment here in terms of the social sciences are way in dread. They are nowhere. They don't have a good conceptualization, at least nothing compared to their sophistication, let's say, in technology or in the uh, medical sciences or in the hard sciences. There they have a pretty good understanding because the black and white perspective doesn't hurt so much. People are not black and white. And when you try to put them into those templates, you basically caricaturize yourself and you also come up with a concept of others which is not consistent with truth. It's consistent with your notion of they're the other and therefore you bashmutz them and you differentiate them as much as you possibly can. I mean, you're surprised to find out that that person has a navel. Wow, I have a navel also. I didn't know that. Okay. So... Let me ask you, uh, 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 veer off just a little bit on the left here, uh, or maybe to the right. Uh, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, that uh, you sprang from a, a Haredi background. Yiddish is your first language. Maybe you even still think in Yiddish. I don't know. I've asked you this question. I, I do think I do think in Yiddish, yeah, and I dream yeah, in Yiddish. Yes. Yeah. So we've we've talked about this in the past, and and even though you aren't going to be sitting with the with your patients uh, throughout the process, but they definitely are coming to you first. Can you talk a little bit about uh, why uh, they're coming to you and, uh, and just in general, why they would want to come to someone like you? I mean, uh, people who can see the picture that I've placed uh, on the podcast, I can see that you're a clean-shaven fellow. Uh, I, I mentioned before you have the Rambam in the background but uh, of, of where you're standing, but you definitely do not look like the, your your the people you grew up with, uh, Moshe Weiss and others who were part of uh, uh, the Chevra when you were growing up in Brooklyn. So can you talk a little bit about uh, why they come to you and what their, uh, what, what, what's the Haredi uh, feelings and sense of comfortability with you? Okay, so basically the Haredim have a very hard time in particular, not just here, but also I have the same thing in America, of understanding someone who has their feet in different places. They can't quite get it. And in their mind, they're still grappling. Uh, Are you with us? Are you one of them? And usually they wouldn't give me the time of day because if I don't look like them and talk like them and smell like them, you're a guy, we don't want you. But when push comes to shove and you can't find a decent psychiatrist or a decent psychologist in their community, they are willing to kind of bend their mind and say, well, you know, he acts like a guy and talks like a guy, but we know he's really a Heimish Jew. So he will be able to understand me. He'll be able to relate to me. He'll be able to think back to his true roots and get along with me and be able to understand. Because the idea is somebody else definitely can't understand. No musig whatsoever. How can this guy possibly understand what kind of problems I'm having if he never goes to the tish? 
So it's that kind of the black and whiteness is there. So um, I'm seen when it suits them as an ally. Like you really know. I remember like once there was this uh, askant who was introducing me to somebody who was really in trouble. And he says, 999 is a Haimish man. Like, don't be afraid. This is a Haimish guy. Not that I look it or talk it, but enough for them to feel, okay, this guy will be able to relate to me. So, so I is, hope I've answered your question. Yeah, so is, is that because, let's say, when you would get a, when you would get a Haredi patient, let's say even today, and I know that you're not going to stay with them, so you make them feel comfortable because you speak Yiddish with them, you talk about uh, the Siddish Shavelt a little bit, it, it, or is that, is that one of the main reasons they don't detect, they don't detect the American accent in your Yiddish? Is that, is that what the, 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 the Yiddish is very important. But what's also important is that they don't have to translate to me when they talk about either their problem, if their problem itself is tied up with their living situation, or just their context. Like the guy would say, let's say, you know, whenever I go to a tish, I feel really feel uncomfortable. And he doesn't have to stop and say, let me tell you what a tish is. A tish is where the rabbi is here and this is there and we eat something that's called kugel. doesn't taste too good, but it looks good. They don't have to get into that. So they feel I'm on their turf. It's like talking to their cousin. And if they would just ignore the visual cues or whatever they know about me, they could very well imagine they're talking to the guy in the mikveh, to the next guy. And that makes them feel that they're understood and that I'm relating to what they're saying. They don't have to get out of their um, narrative to start translating things. So wouldn't you also say, uh, Dr. Juni, that it's a, uh, it's a very good sign that, that Rabbunim, Rebis, Mashpiyim, uh, Roshashivas are actually advising Chassidish uh, Hevra, to seek help, to seek uh, mental help when it's necessary. Isn't that, a, that itself is, I think, a very promising thing. Uh, yes, yes, that's a definite positive change from what I've seen over here, let's say, 15 years ago. But I think it's coming not because they are enlightened, but because they failed miserably otherwise. Like they always used to have these uh, quacks who would sell snake oil, who would have, even now, you can buy cures for um, go to Gaula, you'll buy cures for COVID, 100% guaranteed that'll take care of it. So they're still around. You have their psychiatrist, I mean, I don't, they're not psychiatrists. You have people who call themselves Dr. So-and-so, probably they got some kind of mail-in degree from an, an administration, and they have ideas, they flop all the time. So they figure, no, you have to go, you know, when you need to, you go to the guy. So that's part of the compromise, but they still butt in. They still butt in and basically make it difficult because when you come up with a certain solution, says, no, you can't do that. I'll give you an example. There's one major Hasidish Reb over here who's an oilam I get to do a lot of diagnostics with simply because they're a weird group. And he's very accepting of what I do, except every now and then I get a missive saying, the Rebbe doesn't let you prescribe Paxil. Finished. That's the Rebbe. Okay, and I said, excuse me, if you want to do that, I am not diagnosing you. Get out of here. I'm not there. But that, he feels comfortable enough. You know, he figures maybe the reasoning is, look, I send you enough business. Why don't you play along according to my game? I don't know what it is. But in other words, it's not like they assume, fine, you're an expert. You know what you're doing. I'll leave you to it. No, we're going to be careful. For states, they're very careful in terms of weary of any kinds of suggestions or illusions that may come up that will encourage someone to question 
that will encourage somebody to behave in ways that they don't consider proper, that I can understand. But they also don't quite let go and say, okay, other than misleading my people, you know what you're doing. No, we trust you somehow, but only, you know, as long as the leash is that we're willing to tie in. So I think it comes from failure. I think they would much rather... Um, they go along their way. You have the guy there. You come in. Okay, so which injection should I give this guy? Get in, get out. Everything is fine. You don't have to worry. Just dive more. That's what they would prefer. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I would say, especially as, you know, most of these Sinashanebis and Manhigim were raised with the history of their, for, their, their predecessors who somehow were able to cure and understand everything. And that could be not only in the Hasidic it could be even the Litvish. Right, I was going to say that. It, I think it was much more in the Hasidic than the other, but by now it's infected the, the um, Haredian mentality in the non-Hasidic world. I, I don't see much of a difference in terms of the way, let's say, these um, Rosh Yeshiva and whatever relate to me from the way the Hasidic Rebbes or their minions relate to me. They basically see themselves as, as having a pipeline to God or having true control over what happens to you, except in certain circumstances, in which cases you send them to Jew. But basically, they feel they're controlling things. And, 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 and it's probably frustrating. You know, I grew up, even where, where I was, hearing about how the Chazanish was able to uh, diagnose exactly what every person needed in the hospital and exactly where the, 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 the surgeon should cut. And, and there is this idea that... Sure, that's sure he did. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he did. And I'm sure all those stories are very accurate. Yeah. So w- let me ask you, w- let's finish up on, on, on this one note. Uh, I know that we, both of us, uh, hate seeing things that are broad and inexact. And there has been a lot of invective and negative things written about the Haredim uh, in the liberal press. Um, I, I know that there's, and I, again, I, I hate bringing in popular culture, but I know the program Schnitzel, for example, which is a big hit. I haven't seen all the episodes. I've seen a number of them, just three or four of them. And I know that people say it's doing so much to change the perspective of how the rest of the Israeli world looks at the Haredim. But we know that that change really reflects the, the, the general approach, which is a very negative one. And they are, always, they are painted in very extreme and ugly ways. And maybe the Haredim don't help things by, by their aggressiveness. Do you think there's somehow in what you do, and especially not only as a person who helps steer along a treatment, but also in terms of the types of uh, papers you might write, is there some way you could uh, make them make things more human, make uh, the the, uh, the left world or, or even the scientific world understand that the Haredim are not uh, a different brand of human? Um, is there some way that you can bring to them uh, this type of human heart and understanding uh, in, in a way that we wouldn't be hearing about, uh, you know, uh, the, the hatred that exists within, between the Haredi world and, and the secular world in Israel. Okay, let me bounce back on that, and I will try to come up with an answer, but I just want to give you some tidbits, okay? Um, if you want to make this more absurd or, or push the envelope, 
um, there is quite a surprise on the end of Haredi people or very from Yeshivish people when I tell them, look, the fact that this is happening in the context of somebody who's a London or somebody who's a Rebbe or somebody who's having problems with a, uh, a Rosh Hashiva doesn't really make it that much different than anything else I've been trained to do. In other words, your problems are essentially human problems and they're very similar to the kinds of human problems other people have. Like, so for instance, some people come to me, I charge a lot, okay? I'm a, really a, a specialist in a certain area and they come and they tell me, you know, they, they want to come in for a consult. I said, look, the kind of question you have is something that any psychologist can deal with. It's a very straightforward problem. Okay, they say no, but you don't understand. It comes because of my context, the Hasidus, the Rebbe, the Rosh Hashiva, the fact that I'm learning Musr, the fact that I'm learning Hasidus. And what I say to them is just some simple things. You know, like you have feelings of low self-esteem that's bothering you. That's the same kind of feeling anybody, any Chaloni, any guy, any Catholic has also. You have problems... um, dealing with an authority figure, that's an issue that everybody has. And this is like relativity theory to these people, including to the uh, professionals, to the religious professionals, community professionals who sent to me to say, you mean it's the same issue? I said, yes, it's the same issue. You really don't need me. I mean, the Yiddish, okay, I can't deal with that. But uh, I mean, that's a legitimate issue. But the fact that it has to be somebody who understands who's part of the system, not really. That is a revelation and it's a revelation the other way as well. You see now, even in the popular press, they're talking about the Haredim and those that managed to actually find out about who the people are, they say, wow, this person really is concerned about his family. He's concerned about raising his children. The same kind of issues we have, the context is different, but these kinds of elementary ABCs, it's almost like saying, look, this person bleeds if he's cut extending that into the world of self-concept, into the world of interpersonal relationships, is a major contribution that people who stand in both in both um, societies make to each of them, saying these are human beings. And again, I'm not going to the Arab-Israeli issues, but you can see where that would make sense in that respect as well. I mean, I've had quite a few relationships with the Arab streets, simply because of the research that I do. And it's a really big surprise to them that Jews, the Israelis, really have those kinds of issues. That's the same issues we have. Just change the names. It's the same problem. The same, I, no, but I tell people, the same kinds of issues you have, I've had Catholic kids in school have. Exactly the same, even though their religion is very much different. That's revealing, and that's a bridge of some sort, which they'll cross in about 200 years. <laughs> well, hopefully earlier. But so, I, so I think, but again, you are definitely uh, standing in these worlds. You are able to be a mouthpiece and, and to tell the world, to tell the Israeli left, that these are people just like you, with faults and sometimes greatness and nobility, just like you have. And I think I would say the only problem is that nobody is listening. The only ones who are listening are the ones who are in trouble. So in other words, among those people who are in trouble, I am sure they get the message, even if I don't tell it to them explicitly, simply when they see, you know, who the people are in my practice, they get the message. But the other people are uh, too busy um, um, 
reiterating their own positions to listen to anything. So it'll take a while. I mean, eventually everybody gets in trouble and everybody winds up in a situation of mental health services. So it'll leak through, but it'll take a while. Well, well, hopefully the, uh, the, the situations won't be too severe and you and your students and the people that you've given direction to are going to be able to help them uh, in a way that can get them through uh, the present crisis and beyond and hopefully lead to a greater understanding uh, within the culture from people from various backgrounds and from various perspectives that they can see that what you say has, does not a Jew, what is it? Does, doesn't a Jew have eyes? Won't a Jew believe in as Shakespeare said. So Dr. Juni, thanks for giving us time today. Uh, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time. And uh, as we say, please everyone, you know where you can. Uh... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.